That's my Hill City crew back there. I'm Josh. I'm the lead pastor of Hill City Church. The harvest is plentiful. Translation, we've got a lot of work to do. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? I know it's the end of, uh, of the day. Maybe you're tired, full from lunch. I know you've heard a lot of statistics. So here's a few more. In 2016, 39% of Generation Z, Gen Z, claimed none as their religious affiliation. None might mean atheist, might mean antagonistic, more than likely, just not really interested. 41% claimed Christian, that's Catholic and Protestant. Today, six years later, that 39% of nuns has risen in Gen Z to 44.4%. Statistically speaking, that's a tidal wave. We are bleeding an entire generation out of our churches. And even of those who still claim that affiliation, only 10% of those are actively engaged in a church community. And in a city like ours, in Boise, Idaho, it's likely far less. To put this into perspective, this is, this is my sister who's 10 years younger than me. For some of you, this is your kids, your grandchildren. For some of you, this is you, and this is all of your friends that you grew up in youth group with. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Here's some more statistics. According to Barna, 24% of pastors would claim to be unhealthy after filling out a survey. So just look around in the room. That's, that's one out of every four of us in the room. The two, common, uh, two most common areas of unhealth are physical unhealth. We talked about the RPMs, right, Dave Ferguson. Physical unhealth and emotional, unsurprisingly. Unhealth. The last two years have been brutal. I don't need to tell you that. You know it. We feel it. Uh, it was so extreme that 38% of pastors who were interviewed at the end of last year said that they had seriously considered quitting ministry altogether. Likely they had given their resumes and had applied in the marketplace already. Uh, to put this into perspective, nine months before that, that percentage was 9% less. So if we thought 2020 was a difficult year, right? When 2021 hit and we still were facing division and you're still facing, like people still haven't come back to church and you're still facing those cultural issues, people are tired, pastors are, are tired. And that statistic goes up from 38% to 46% of pastors who are under the age of 45. People my age. Every other pastor who's under the age of 45 is thinking seriously about quitting. And it's not just church leaders. Institutions like Bible college and seminaries across the country are struggling with enrollment. Uh, Alan Noble, in an article for Christianity Today, said 65% of our schools have seen a decline in enrollment between 2014 and 2018. He said that translates to 944 Bible college faculty positions that have been eliminated. So do the math real quick. We have less church leaders, we have less people training church leaders, and we have less interest than ever before of young people in it all being involved in the church. Do the math. 
I know there's a lot of crisis that we have to face, and I know that, that so much of our jobs we're looking at, man, how do we get people back to church, and you know, the online thing, and we've got a million plates spinning, but I want to tell you the thing that compels me the most, the crisis that faces the church today is a crisis of non-discipleship. The cultural Christianity of our forefathers and mothers is not going to suffice to reach our children. Will this be the generation that arises after us that does not know what God has done in Israel? Will there be a church for my four-year-old daughter? I believe that Jesus will build his church, capital C. I believe that, that the kingdom of heaven is in his hands, but he didn't promise to build my church or the church in Boise or the church in North America. And in a specific context, in any, in any given context, the church is only one non-discipleship generation away from complete irrelevance. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So how will we respond to this crisis? I think there's a few main responses and maybe you feel some of these in the room right now. Maybe you felt them throughout the course of this conference. The first one is ignorance. And it's not to say you're intentionally trying to be ignorant. It's just like, I, I don't know. I haven't really given a lot of thought to this. And I'm here to tell you, now you know. Pay attention. These are some of the most important and pressing questions facing us in the church today. Another attitude is apathy. Is to have that, that mindset of, I, I don't care. I do see this happening. I see it in the church. But honestly... My heart just isn't in it. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I'm one of the 38% that's considering quitting. It's not my problem. And I would say if that's you, pray for your own soul. Pray for your heart. Seriously. To have compassion like Jesus had compassion for sheep without a shepherd. Some of you, I would guess, if you're in the room for a conference like this, maybe you feel discouraged. Discouraged is to say, I can't help. I don't know. I've tried everything I could think of in the last two years, and nothing seems to be working. I can't help. I pray that this conference would put courage into you, that you would leave with practical tools and ideas, and if nothing else, a spirit that says, I'm going to keep getting up. I'm going to keep trying. And maybe for many of you, what you feel is you feel angry. To feel angry is to say, I'm mad. I don't like what's going on. It doesn't sit well with me. What we have to do is we have to stop just being angry with the problem and allow the Holy Spirit to use us to find a solution. There's a place for righteous anger, but we have to not sit in that place of anger. We have to let it move us to action. I want to read to you how Jesus responded. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had everyone say it compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into whose harvest? His harvest. The only appropriate response to the non-discipleship crisis facing the church today, if we're gonna be Christians, which means to follow Christ is compassion. And compassion 
is to have that holy anger, but it's to say, I have to do something. The Greek word is splonknitsumai. Everyone say splonknitsumai. There's your, there's your Greek vocab word for the day. It literally means to be moved in your bowels. Your insides are all mixed up and messed up because you, you, it's called, uh, psychologists call it a crystallization of discontent. It's the difference between someone who says, I need to quit smoking, and someone who says, I have to quit smoking, right? There's, there's, a, there's a switch inside of us when we have this splonknitsumai, this crystallization. It's not, man, the church really needs to figure this out. It's I have to do something. I want to give you four words. And I don't think that these, I'm not naive enough to, to think in the six minutes I have left, you know I'm going over time like everyone else. Six minutes and 25 seconds. Now, that these four words will solve your problem, but this is a start. Everyone repeat after me. Pray. Pray. See. See. Speak. Speak. Invest. Invest. Pray for kingdom workers. Pray for kingdom workers. What does Jesus tell us to do? He doesn't say, man, look at the harvest. Look at all the lost people in the world. Look at all the people who need the gospel. Work harder. What a horrible conference that would be if that was my message to you. Man, we're working as hard as we can. What does he say? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray. Pray. And I don't, trust me, I don't mean to over-spiritualize because we've all had someone, right? You go to them. You pour out your heart. They're like, just pray about it. You're like, come on, right? But we have to be careful as church leaders not to under-spiritualize. We need to accurately or appropriately spiritualized. And if Jesus says the solution to the lack of workers is to pray, then you better believe we need to pray. I'm here to tell you, stop complaining that you don't have enough volunteers. Stop complaining that you don't have enough staff to run that initiative. Stop complaining there aren't enough people in the pews and start praying. Start praying. The word is deo in Greek. It literally means some translations beseech. It literally means to tie up. Imagine trying to tie God's hands. That's what it means to put God under obligation. How much time have you spent complaining lately? And how much time have you spent on your knees? On your knees, in tears, praying. It's God's harvest. They're his workers. He puts a calling on their life and it's his Holy Spirit that equips them for the sake of ministry. Pray for workers, everyone say pray. Next one is C, C, potential leaders. We are looking for the perfect leader, aren't we? That's what we write our job descriptions for. Well, guess what? They don't exist and you can't afford them if they did. <laughs> Stop trying to hire the perfect leader and see the potential leader that God has already put in front of you. <laughs> Acts chapter four, what did Jesus do? He saw the fishermen. He saw the tax collectors. Look at the difference. Acts 4.13, this is, this is Peter and John. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common, translation, stupid. <laughs> they did not pass their SATs, high school dropouts. They were astonished. The people are astonished. Why? They recognized they had been with Jesus. The most important qualification you are looking for is someone who's been with Jesus. 
And if they are, they've been with Jesus, then you can trust. It's his harvest. It's his workers. It's his Holy Spirit. Jesus looked past the inexperience. He looked past the lack of education. And you know what? You know what he saw? He saw kingdom leaders. He looked at the tax collectors, the fishermen, the sinners, the prostitutes, the lady who had all kinds of demons. And he said, I see potential. I see a potential leader when I look at that person. Are you looking at the people that God has already entrusted you with as potential leaders? See what God already sees in them and pray for prophetic vision to see the calling that he has placed on their lives. Everyone say, see. Next one is speak. Speak encouraging words. We've got to adopt the motto of the Department of Homeland Security. I know you probably haven't traveled much, right? Last two years, COVID. But you might, you might remember this. Remember, if you see something, say something, right? <laughs> Department of Homeland Security. And, uh, and if you see something and God has given you eyes to see even the smallest spark of a calling in someone's life, you need to say something. Speak encouraging words. You realize the word encouragement literally just means to take courage that you have and put it where? Into that person. And I can tell you as a millennial who for whatever reason people trusted me at the age of 26 to plant a church, I can tell you I have heard words of discouragement from leaders who have come before me. And I'm currently hearing words of discouragement for Gen Z. Kids these days in their TikTok dances, right? You just hear it. It's not even words that you're saying directly to that person. Imagine speaking like that about your children when they're in your home. Words shape worlds. One of my favorite stories is Gideon in Judges chapter six. He's shaking in his boots. And God has already called him to be the judge, to defeat the Midianites, but where is he? He's hiding in a wine press because he's scared that the Midianites are gonna take his lunch money. So he is a coward. Notice the words that the angel of the Lord speaks over him. Judges 6.12, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That's not even true yet. He's literally, while the, the angel's peeking over the edge of the wine press, O mighty man of valor. That's a word of prophecy and calling that God can see past where Gideon is today to what he is calling him to tomorrow. And Jesus did it too. Think of these words, and I know that this passage from, that Jesus speaks to Peter, it's a little bit theologically debated, but Matthew 16, verse 18, I don't know if you remember Peter, just screwed up all the time, right? Most of those ye of little faith, you know that Jesus is like, he's looking at Peter when he's saying that. Always saying the wrong thing, always doing the wrong thing, always putting his foot in his mouth. And then the one time that Peter makes the good confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is, Jesus is like, I gotta capitalize on this moment right here. Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I, yeah, oh, is it the confession? Is it Peter? Okay, whatever. Imagine that Jesus spoke those words to you. Put yourself in his sandals in that moment. You are Josh, 
And on this rock, I will build my church. I'm going to use you to build my church. The gates of hell have nothing on you. Jesus is prophet. He's, and Peter's always screwing up. And Jesus, he sees the potential. He sees the leadership. And he speaks courage into him. And you want to know who gets up? among all of his peers on the day of Pentecost to preach that monumental keystone gospel presentation where 3,000 people get baptized? It's Peter. He's not a fisherman anymore. Everyone say, speak. We've got to pray, we've got to see, we've got to speak, and we've got to invest in the next generation. Gen Z is the best positioned generation to reach Gen Z. Let them lead. Let them do it. We're asking the wrong question. The question we're asking is, how do we get these kids, how do we trick them to come to our church? Is it pizza? Do they still like that? Is it bowling? Do they still have laser tag, right? How do we trick them? These kids, is it TikTok? Let them lead. Invest. Spend time relationally. You want to know what Jesus does in the verse immediately following our main passage from, from Matthew 9? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I want to read to you the very, literally the very next verse. And he called to him his 12 disciples. And what did he do? He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jesus didn't just spend time with these, guys, with these teenagers and 20-somethings. He invested in them. He let them lead. He let them mess up. He let them fail. And he gathered them back together. And he capitalized on the one thing they did right. And he spoke life and calling prophetically into them. Who are you spending time with that's under the age of 26 years old? That's, the, that's kind of the marker for Gen Z, and if you don't have a name or a face that comes to your mind, send a text message today and have coffee with that person. You don't get the opportunity to see and to speak and to invest if you're not even in the room. I had the opportunity last weekend to go to a winter camp with junior high and high school students. So yesterday, when that question was like, do you know what they smell like, I can say, Yes, I do. Amen. Here's some footage from the winter camp. We, we did the, the, the sessions were the gospel according to Leviticus. So if you see some weird stuff on the screen, you'll know at least what, what the context of that is. Uh, but in the final session, I was able to, to, to bring the students to that place of Romans 12, present yourself to God, a living sacrifice. God's not looking for any more dead sacrifices. He's looking for people to live for him. And as I would to look... There you go, Gospel according to Leviticus. I was able to look 100 junior high and high school students in the eyes and to say, I believe that God will use you to change the world. I believe that God will use you to plant churches, to be worship leaders, to move across the world and be missionaries, to open orphanages. I believe in you. And you could just sense in the room, it had been a while since someone had told them that, since someone had gave them authority, since someone had invested in them. 
And you're not going to get the opportunity to do that if you're not even in the room. And I know what some of you are thinking, because I was in youth ministry, and I moved out of youth ministry, and you're like, I thought I was done with youth ministry. But if you're going to take this kingdom, multiplication, calling, next generation seriously, let's be honest, we're never quite done with youth ministry, are we? Discipleship is passing our faith on from one generation to the next. And one of the most beautiful things about being able to be at that, that winter camp is I was able to look around the room from five years ago. It wasn't long ago that I was still a youth pastor. And I looked at the guy who was leading the whole camp in worship, who's on staff at another church we partnered with, and he was one of our youth students. And I looked over at another church that brought their youth students that we were partnering with, and the youth pastor, and he was one of our youth students. And I looked around at about a dozen volunteer leaders who had taken time off work, some of them unpaid, to be there with junior high and high school students. And they were students in my youth ministry five years ago. That's what it looks like to empower the next generation of leaders. And that was less than five years ago. You blink your eyes and the teenagers and the 20-somethings of today will be leading the church of tomorrow. And I know you're busy because I'm busy. And I know it's hard work. And I know the horizon looks bleak. And I know the last two years have been incredibly brutal. I know that. I feel that in my own life. But I don't just believe that we might be one generation of non-discipleship away from irrelevance. I believe times like these are prime for revival. And could we be one generation of discipleship away from revival? Could this be our finest hour? And if we do what God is asking us to do, and we trust God to do what only he can do, then Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Amen.